0: Hey, good morning everybody. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here at Stonebrook and we are really glad that you're here today. Um, You picked a great Sunday to be here. I hope you've enjoyed it so far, but we are in the middle of what we call a message series where we take a particular subject and we talk about it for several different weeks at a time and we think we've covered it enough. We uh, move on to something else. So you're in the middle of a message series, actually part five. There'll be two more after today. On a topic that uh, is entitled The End of Religion. So, uh, if you haven't been here before and haven't heard what's gone on in the past, don't despair. You can go to stonebrook.tv. If you fall asleep during the message, same thing can happen. You said, Man, I, I didn't hear a thing he said. You can go to stonebrook.tv at any time and sort of catch up on what's, uh, what we've said before. And it uh, will probably make a little more sense if you hear what went before. What we say today will make a little more sense. And But we'll catch you up as best we can here in just a minute. But along the way, if you have questions, and we love it, love it, love it when you ask questions. Um, when you ask questions that we don't know, that it just gives us a chance to go try to figure out uh, what the answer is. But you can text a question. It's anonymous. At any time during the message, you can text to 415 five S B rocks. Now, if, you're so, if your phone's not getting a great signal, we're uh, trying to figure out how we can make that work inside this metal building. It sort of keeps the signal from happening as good as we'd like. But you can hook onto our Wi-Fi. SBC guest is the Wi-Fi. And uh, if you can text through your phone that way, that would be great. We would really appreciate it. Now we'll do a real quick review to catch you up. The basic premise of this series is that religion has been a pretty destructive force on this earth. We, uh, if you look at The major religions, even the minor religions, and especially the Christian religion, which is the one that we have to deal with, has been a very destructive thing over the course of history, but we found out that that's not really God's original intention, and the first three chapters, two or three chapters of the Bible, this collection of documents that we try to learn about who God is, and that's why we get together, we're here to try to figure out what is God like, and religion has said that they are the answer to get to God, but we found out... That God actually at the very beginning did not want religion. It wasn't his big idea. He intended for us to relate to him very directly. And that religion is something that we place. We perceived a gap between us and God. And we decided we have to do something to close that gap, to bridge that gap. But that wasn't God's idea. And as we read through the Old Testament, after about the first three chapters, the rest of the Old Testament is basically broken. Broken. It's a broken system with broken people where God is working within that system with uh, things that aren't really his ideas, but try to bring people back into relationship with himself. And we said over and over that God prefers partnership over perfection. We have this idea in religion, if you can reach a certain standard or do certain things, be in a, in a holy place with a holy people, with a holy guy, reading a holy book, if you'll do these ho- this holy stuff that you'll somehow reach finally the standard that God is doing and but we find that the Old Testament that God never said there was some standard. The standard is he wants to be around you. The whole uh, idea of the Bible is God's crazy about you. He wants you. That's all he's after. He just wants you. So, uh, but God prefers partnership over perfection. And we, we say this a lot here that God chooses people over principles. He chooses relationship over rules and love over law. That um, he, he accommodates. Theologians call this the principle of accommodation that all through the Old Testament God met people where they were, they had the idea that you have to make sacrifices, they would not go away from that idea, so God says okay if you 're going to make sacrifices though let 's do it this way, and it led them to what Jesus would eventually uh, come and show them so religious places, religious practices, we discovered that was not god 's idea. He met the people where they were, worked within that broken system to uh, eventually reveal who he really was. In fact, he said it himself in the Old Testament in Hosea. This is just an example. Uh, In fact, Jesus one time was walking along. The Pharisees, who are the religious leaders of his day, were driving him absolutely nuts. He basically stopped and said, Guys, go and learn what this means. Go and learn this. You read the Bible all the time, but you're missing the entire point. Go and learn. And then he quotes Hosea 6.6. 6. He says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. Well, God, you have bunches of books about sacrifices. I know it wasn't my idea. I had to work with what I had. But I want you to show love and not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. God says in his own Bible, this wasn't my big idea, guys. The whole purpose his relationship, But then we said this, when Jesus comes, he arrives on the scene, that Jesus' purpose, he came to reveal who God was. God's nature, God's heart, God's purpose is, uh, is what Jesus did. And so real quickly, we didn't say this last time, but I, this is something I want us all to know. That uh, Jesus came for, we're, we're sort of quantifying it into four statements that this is what Jesus' purpose was. First of all, he came to show us God's love. He's demonstrating in everything that he says, everything that he does, this is who God really is. You guys have misunderstood him in the past, but this is what God is all about. We'll talk about that more and more as we go on. His second purpose was he came to save us from sin, and that's what everybody talks about. Jesus died on the cross for my sin. How does that work? I have no idea. What else did he do? I have no idea. Well, that's one of his purposes, but not his only purpose. His third purpose... These aren't necessarily in a prioritized order, but he came to set up God's kingdom. He said, there's actually a new way that I want you to live. It has nothing to do with the political structure. It has nothing to do with trying to change people's behavior from the outside. We're going to be uh, have sort of a covert process here where your heart is going to actually be changed. I'm going to come live inside of you, and then you're going to have a community of people, and that community of people isn't there To build walls around it and build regulations and rituals and rules. That community is there so that when people look at the way that you're living in that kingdom. That it will expand and sort of from the inside out will change the world. That's Jesus' plan. But fourthly, and this is the main thing that we're talking about. He came to shut down religion. His religion. Christianity. Jesus isn't the uh, originator of a new religion called Christianity no, is one of his main purposes, and we'll see it. We we started looking at a story last week. We'll continue with more stories today and over the next few weeks, where where you will see that Jesus is not only thumbing his nose at religion, he's vandalizing the establishment. He is being very subversive. He's being very scandalous. He's being revolutionary to where he's saying, "I have accommodated this. I've allowed this for a while." God has put up with this desire in you to try to bridge the gap, but I'm here to burn down the bridge. And it really ticked people off that, uh, that were really proud of their bridge. So Jesus represents, his life represents, everything that he said, everything he did, represents a fundamental shift in the perception and understanding we have of God. Jesus arrives on the scene, and we say this all the time, if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. God looks like Jesus. I'm going to hit us real quick with Scripture after Scripture here, just real real quickly. So hang on, buckle up. Um, The Apostle Paul says it this way, that in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. That's why I say all the time Jesus is God in a bod. He physically came to say, you guys aren't getting it, you're not understanding. There's a kink in our communication system here. Let me just come show you. Let me come live among you. It's God showing. This was my intention from the beginning. Not you trying to get to me. I'm coming down to you. That's the way this works. I will always pursue you. You don't have to try to get to me. Uh, in fact, there's a story, and I, I just sort of added this last night. I was reading it and said, I gotta, I, we got to have this in there. Something happened in the, uh, the book of Mark, and Mark is simply a guy. He's actually, Mark is a secretary for the apostle Peter, who was probably illiterate. We don't know for sure, but he was a pretty common uh, man of the first century. So Mark is actually telling the story of Peter. And there's a story that happens in Mark chapter 9. I just want to hit it real quickly. Where Jesus uh, went on to say, he says this very strange thing. I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. Here again he's talking about the kingdom of God is coming here. They perceive the kingdom of God and frankly, Christians today, when they still think about God, they're always just concerned about, what do I have to do to get to heaven? What's heaven going to be like? Jesus rarely talked about heaven. When he talked about the kingdom of God, they thought he was talking about some event in the future. But he would constantly say, forget, forget the future. The, the, the future starts now. We, you don't do one thing here and one thing in eternity. It's it's just Us and God. If you you want to be, you think, well, I'm going to live peaceful in eternity. Well, live peaceful now. But anyway, I won't get into that too much. But he said the kingdom of God is going to come into power. And this weird thing happened. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. These were like his three inner circle. These were the main guys. He took them up on a high mountain to be alone. And as the men watched this weird thing happen, Jesus' appearance was transformed. It goes on to say, his clothes, <laughs> this has had to absolutely freak him out. Okay, Jesus, you're glowing. This hasn't happened before. Why are you glowing all of a sudden? This is strange. Uh, so we're on a mountain, Jesus is glowing. His clothes became dazzling white, <clears throat> far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. And then it just gets weirder. Then all of a sudden, dead guys show up. Elijah, where technically, if you read the Old Testament, you know, I mean, Moses died. Nobody saw where he was buried, so maybe he died, maybe he didn't. But here he is, and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Now put yourself there. You've been hanging around this guy. It's a lot of fun. He's healing people. There's lots of crowds. He says, hey, guys, let's take a trip. Great. We're going camping with Jesus. Jesus starts glowing and shining. Dead people show up, and they're talking to them. So they're freaked out. So then, and here's where I think Jesus put Peter in the Bible, Just to make us feel a lot better about ourselves. Because Peter is always like open mouth, insert foot. So, because Peter is a great example. And and you know there's some people that you work with maybe or you hang out. And if you can't think of any people, it's you that this person is we're about to describe. But uh, you know that thing that most people have when you really don't know what to say. And so you don't say anything. Yeah, Peter didn't have that. So Peter, in fact, the Bible says that. So Peter says, Rabbi, talking about Jesus, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters or memorials. And this is what religion does. Anytime something, wow, God is doing something here. Let's build a building. Let's build something to hold it in. We don't want to lose this. So let's do something to make sure that this happens all the time. Let's make three shelters as memorials. Now notice, this is important. The symbology here. There's the reason that Mark is including this story. It's, it's, it's showing a point to us. Let's make three memorials. One for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. Now, we, we view the Bible many times through Western eyes, but to an Eastern person, when they see Elijah and Moses, they would say, well, that represents the old covenant. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Matthew, uh, Not Matthew, Genesis, Exodus. Our pastor thinks the Bible starts with Matthew. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The Jewish people called that the Torah. Theologians call it the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, or the law. Then Elijah represents the prophets. That's the rest of the Old Testament. The law and prophets. Jesus, many times referring to the Old Testament, called it the law and the prophets. So here you have a representative of the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And Peter is saying, "Wow, this is great. You guys are all the same. Let's build a memorial to this. One for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. The big three. It's really great. Let's do this. Well, God intervenes here. An interesting thing happens. Uh, this next part is sort of... It's, I, think this, I think Mark added this as Peter was talking. You know, because Peter It's very interesting, by the way. You see the humanity. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and this has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But you know the story where Peter walked on water and then he doubted and he started to sink? That's not in the book of Mark. It's in, I think it's in Matthew. And Mark was written first. And I can just see Matthew, because Matthew knows what well, Mark's writing for Peter. Oh, Peter tells that, Peter doesn't tell the part about him sinking. Let me, let me share with the world that part. And it's very interesting you see the humanity. So anyway, to me, I, I see Mark going, he said that because he didn't know what to say. But it didn't stop him anyway. He really didn't know what else to say, for they were all terrified. But then this happened. Now notice, Peter is saying, you guys are all equal. Moses, Elijah, Old Testament, Jesus. But then this happened. A cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. You got Moses and Elijah and Jesus, and you're saying you need to build a memorial to all of them. Let me intervene here. Speak out of a cloud with my Charlton Heston voice and say, no, this is my dearly beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around Moses and Elijah were what? They were gone. This is God trying to prove a point. The time of this religion that Moses and Elijah and we've lived in for for years is up. And they saw only Jesus with them. And they went down the mountain. The rest of the story. went down the mountain. He told them not to tell anyone what they had seen. (laughs) Imagine, that would be a really hard thing. Well, by the way, we just went up on the mountain. I glowed. Moses and Elijah were there. We had a discussion. Then God came up and said some stuff. Don't mention that to anybody. How do you do that? Don't tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept it to themselves. But they often ask each other what he meant by rising from the dead because they thought that the Messiah was riding into town to bless the temple system, to uh, affirm their religious structure, and restore Israel to the nation that it had once been. But Jesus wasn't here to do anything through a political structure or a religious structure. He was here to shut that down in favor of people's hearts being changed and a kingdom being established. He was here to shut down religion, which they did not understand. And Hebrews puts a pretty fine point on it here, where uh, Hebrews says, the writer of Hebrews, who I believe was the Apostle Paul, in the past... In the past, God spoke to us, to our ancestors, sorry, through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And then he goes on to say, the son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. That's why I say all the time, God looks like Jesus. You want to see, I'm not talking about physically, you want to see what God thinks, what God would do, how God would act, what God's nature is, you look at Jesus. Jesus says it a couple ways here, and once again, I'm hitting you boom, boom, boom with scripture. We uh, normally don't do so much, but I just wanted you to get this. Jesus replied, because Philip, one of his closest disciples, ah, one of his closest, one of his disciples, Philip said to him, you know, Jesus, show us God. Show us the Father. We'll be satisfied. And Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? And this sort of cuts to the heart of, of how I was raised in church. Because, you know, we were a very worship-centered church, and we were always singing songs like, God, show me more of you. Show me your glory, Lord. We sang these amazing songs, and we cried, and it was good, and we, we loved God, and there's not saying there was anything awful about it. But... There are so many people, even people who would say they're Jesus followers or Christians, who are, God, show me who you are. And I want to say, well, you start, start reading in Mark, and you will see exactly who God is. You don't have to wonder whatever Jesus said, whatever Jesus did. Now you can ask God, now show me who you are as I read this story of the guy that's revealing you. Open my eyes to what he's actually doing and saying. But if you want to know who God is, you want to know what God wants, I meet people a lot. I say a lot. I'm correcting myself as I'm talking. I meet people every now and then. They'll say, I just don't know what God's will is for me. Start with the book of Mark, and you'll end where you'll see Jesus said, now go and share that with everybody. Are you doing that? No. Start there. Look at what Jesus said and what Jesus did. So, and then Jesus said this, and I think this is the last one. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God. It, uh, to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And that's the premise as we're looking at these various stories of Jesus. Jesus says, whatever I'm doing, that in some way is God's message. That's, that's who God is. Watch what I'm doing and you'll find some clues to what God wants. So we started last week in John chapter 5 in this, this story where... God, uh, Jesus came along and he found a guy that had been uh, disabled for 38 years. He was unable to walk. Jesus comes up to him and heals him, but he says this thing. He says, stand up, and he makes a big deal about this. And we find that in the story over and over the same phrase. Pick up your mat and walk. Well, a mat, of course, is just something he's laying on. But Jesus said, okay, uh, you're disabled, but I'm about to heal you. Stand up, but I want you to roll that up. And go somewhere. I want you to walk around where people can see you. And we find out this radical thing. And we said last week we wanted to act like we're reading this for the first time in the first century. And when the first century people would have heard this, because it says, but this miracle happened on the Sabbath. Yeah! Those of you that were here last week, you know. But if they would have read this for the first time, and it said this happened on the Sabbath, there would have been a collective gasp. So I want everybody to get an opportunity. I'm going to try this one more time. But this miracle happened, oh my gosh, on the Sabbath. I know. Can you believe that? And we have a hard time understanding that. I was just thinking about this this week. I, I, uh, I remember, I was probably a teenager. I'm not really sure. But the first time that Walmart decided, that they decided they're going to be open From 12 to 5 on a Sunday. I know. Now, it's not the Walmart that's there now. Or the Walmart that was there before that one. It's the Walmart that was there before that one. I'm a three Walmart old guy in Waynesville. But it was like, oh my gosh, they're going to be open on Sunday? It was a big deal back then. Multiply that times 527 and a half. And you will have the attitude that they would have had... That, Because there were laws after laws after laws That the religious people had added on to what God intended with the Sabbath Which was simply I don't want you to spend your whole life working I didn't create this earth for you just to work all the time I won't make my Rihanna joke this time Whoever Caleb is But I, I want you to actually enjoy it so, But they added religious rules about it. Well you can't carry things and You can only go so far on a certain day So Jesus came to say Nonsense. There's a new sheriff in town. There's not room enough for the both, both of us, religious establishment. We are putting it into this. So the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, objected. They said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. It was about work. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. And Jesus' defense to them, He didn't say, Well, you misunderstand. I'm not really working. He rubbed it in their face. He said, My father is always at his work. And to this very day, and I too am working. Work, work, work. That's what I'm doing. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. That's how big a deal it is. Can you imagine? Walmart's open on Sunday afternoon. Oh, we gotta kill him. (laughs) But here Jesus actually helps a guy that's not been able to walk for 38 years. He makes a big deal about him carrying his mat. And they said, oh, we can't have this. This guy can't be from God. He has a guy carrying a mat. We have to kill him. Not only because he broke the Sabbath, but he called God, the, God his Father, therefore making himself equal with God, which was exactly what he was saying. There is a new sheriff in town. But he said this to them at the end. He says, here's your problem, Pharisees. Here's your problem. You search the Scriptures. You read your Bible all right. In fact, the Pharisees, if you, if you ever lived in a neighborhood and you heard... Hey, there's a new guy moving in down at the end of the block. Oh, yeah, he's a Pharisee. Oh, really? You would be happy. They're going to do things exactly right. They're going to obey the covenants of the homeowners association. They're going to keep their lawn perfectly mowed. There's not going to be a car in the front up on blocks with all the wheels off. They're going to do things exactly right. Their morals are going to drive the speed limit, which bothers me. Go a little above it, please. See, I'm not religious, especially when it comes to speed limits. Although the older, older I get, my kids occasionally say, uh, Grandpa. You're, so, But anyway, they would do everything exactly right. They were the perfect ones, and they knew their Bible. You can read your Bible every day for the rest of your life. You'll not know it as well as the Pharisees. If knowing the Bible is the standard, if being able to quote the thing and live it, they lived it. They added stuff to it, So they wouldn't even get close to the edge. Okay, God doesn't want us to do that. So we're going to make it even harder so I don't even get close to the edge. They wanted to live exactly right so when the Messiah came, they could usher him in to help him do what his job was. But he said, you think by doing that. You're studying the scriptures as an end game. You're studying the Bible so you can know the Bible, so you can live by the Bible. Jesus basically said, you're missing the point. You think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. The whole purpose of the story is they point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. So we say that we study scripture, not to know scripture. We study scripture, but then we follow Jesus. We study scripture so we can know him, so we can follow him. We may have grown up in a church that says something like this, the Bible says it, that settles it, I believe it, let's do it. Or, you know... Find one of those preachers that has the slick back hair. I used to. It, it was sort of fun to me. I grew up with those kind of preachers, and they would always sweat, and they had a handkerchief, and they'd pound on their Bible. We need to get back to the Bible. And I just spit. That was perfect. <laughs> and they, you know, their forehead. And I used to practice because I've always wanted to be a preacher. And I thought that's what you have to do, preacher. You have to yell, wear a weird suit, and have weird hair. So I never could get my hair to do that. My hair wants to go forward. And I thought, well, I can't be a preacher. My hair won't slick back. But I practice, you know, I had this one preacher. He was one of my favorites. He would throw up his handkerchief, and then he would grab it with the other one and make a point, just like that. And I used to practice that, you know, out in the garden or something, preaching to the lettuce or something, I don't know, the beans, and uh, throw that up, just like that, make a point. You're going to hell. So, but we say, you know, we need to get back to the Bible. And I love the Bible. This is why those of you that know me, you're like, was he, he sure he doesn't, speak, not speaking against the Bible. He loves the Bible. I love, I read the Bible for fun. I just love it. But it's not about the book. It's about the person. Anyway, I'll move on. The Bible actually says this about itself. In Hebrews, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he's made the first one obsolete. It's now out of date and will soon disappear. The Bible says about another part of itself, oh yeah, that's obsolete. It was actually about him. And we call ourselves the people of the book. In fact, that originated actually with Muhammad as he was developing the religion of Islam. And he looked around and he saw the Christians and the Jewish people had a book and he's developing the Koran. So he said, you know, it's almost as a bridge building thing that... Well, you're the people of the book, you're people of the book, we're people of the book. And we are not actually, though, people of the book. We're people of the person. The book simply shows us, oh, this is what that person is like, and he wants us to come directly to him. So, we'll move on to this next story. John chapter 9. This is another case in John 9 where Jesus is in Jerusalem again. At a particular time where there's a festival going on. Let's just look at the story. And in the book of John especially. John starts out his entire book with chapter 1. Saying watch what Jesus does. There's a new thing happening here. We haven't quite understood who God is. Jesus is trying to show us something. So Jesus is walking along. So sort of get the picture. He's walking along here. There's a, a festival. We'll find out what that is in a minute. And... His disciples... Jesus walking along. He saw... It's very interesting how John says things. He saw a man who had been blind from birth. But his disciples, as is almost always the case, Jesus' followers see something different. The next, next verse says, Rabbi, his disciples ask, Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sin? Jesus sees a man who has a need... His disciples see the opportunity to have a theodicy, which is a theological discussion about the origin of evil. Why did this happen? The Jews, in fact, had a doctrine. It's almost like the doctrine of karma. They wouldn't have called it karma, but they believed that if something bad happened to you, it was God punishing you for your sins. The only problem with that is, well, what if someone is born with something that's wrong? What's the deal then? Well, with karma, they would solve that by saying, well, with reincarnation, this person sinned in their past life, done done something wrong in their past life, so now they're paying for it in this life. But the Jewish people didn't believe in reincarnation, so the religious leaders came up with this concept where you could sin in utero. It's like at five months pregnant, the guy's pimping in there. I don't know what's happening. But they came up with this problem, and so the disciples... They stop, and they're having a theological discussion about this blind man here. And what you don't see is, I don't know if you've ever thought through it, I can see the blind guy going, you know I can hear you, right? I mean, here is a man, a person, that needs something, and they've decided, let's have a conference, let's write another book, let's have a discussion about theology here. But Jesus answers this question. He says it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Jesus uh, does away with the doctrine of karma, and he says this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Now notice the power of God hasn't been seen in him yet. This didn't happen because God did something to him to cause that. But Jesus is about to show the nature of God and actually help this man. So Jesus is, stand back, let me take care of this. So he heads toward the blind man, and he does this strange thing. The next verse. This is something you never see in a stained glass window. You see Jesus holding a sheep, holding up two fingers. I don't know what that means. Like, do this, peace. I don't know. Why is he doing that? But you never see. He he gets down on the ground, and this isn't his normal operating procedure. This is, why, why is John giving us this detail? Why is Jesus doing this? He doesn't just go over and say, be healed in the name of me. He picks up dirt, and he <coughs> Jesus Hakshalugi. I mean, <laughs> it's strange. We read the Bible with such religious eyes. Here's just a Jewish peasant carpenter walking down a dirt road going to help a guy, and he spits in his hands full of dirt. Why would you do such a thing? He makes mud. John is very specific to say he made mud <coughs> with the saliva, he's mixing dirt and spit. And notice, he's heading, the the blind guy can't see him coming. (laughs) And he spreads mud all over the blind guy's eyes and face. And so you here have a blind man that's sitting on the side of the road. Now he has Jesus' spit and mud on his face. And Jesus isn't done. He says, now, what should I do about this? Go wash yourself hmm, in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. Now, why would he say such a thing? We're going to find out a little bit later that once again, brace yourself. This happened on the Sabbath. I know, but not only did it happen on the Sabbath, because and the things there are certain things that the religious people said you couldn't do on the Sabbath. Know you guys on the front row freezing? Okay, on this you're in the back row and you're freezing. Okay, we probably should turn the air conditioner down just a little bit for him. Or not down, up back there. If you get a chance, everybody in the front is saying, I'm never coming back to this church again. My snot is freezing on the front. So, uh, on the Sabbath, there are certain things that you cannot do. Number one, you cannot give any remedy. You cannot apply any message or... Um, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Not message. Medicine. Medicine or remedy On the Sabbath, unless the person's life is in imminent danger. This guy's been blind his whole life. He can wait another day. You cannot apply any remedy or medicine on the Sabbath day. You cannot anoint anybody for any purpose on the Sabbath day. For healing, for blessing, anointing people is forbidden on the Sabbath day. And here's the kicker you cannot knead dough or make bread. Or anyway, mix any liquid and solid to form another, uh, another material because it reminds the Israelites of when they were captive and slaves in Egypt and they had to make bricks. It reminds them of work. It's all work. You cannot mix the liquid and a solid into another substance on the Sabbath. They've added ritual after ritual after ritual after routine after regulation until they've lost the entire point and Jesus comes along on the Sabbath and says, here's what I think of your ever-mounting heap of religious regulations. There's mud in your eye. He's, he's not only thumbing his nose at religion, he is he's, he's vandalizing the establishment. He's saying, here's the X, bring in the wrecking ball, this is over. But not only did it happen on the Sabbath, it happened during the Jewish festival of Sukkot. Now Sukkot is the festival of booths, or the festival of, uh, of tents. They lived in tents, in booths, because it reminded them of when they left Egypt. They didn't have, they lived in tents while they walked across the wilderness. So they had this ceremony. It's sort of like camping, only with God and stuff. So they would, on their back porch or their backyard, for about a week or so, they would live outside, and they would camp. But the thing that they had, and everybody came to Jerusalem. This is one of the three festivals that the uh, Jewish men had to come to Jerusalem to go to the temple. And every year at Jerusalem, at this time, they had a parade. You have to imagine, Jerusalem, the population has swelled with people coming in. And there's just activity everywhere. And they're having this parade where they start at the temple. And the priest with his finest robes and the hat and holding the stick and all this thing. And he would hold this, have this vessel sort of like a big vase. And they would march down Main Street, I guess. I don't know what street it was. But the main street of town from the temple. This huge processions like homecoming. You know, people are on the side eating popcorn. They're watching as they go. And they go to, guess where? They go to the Pool of Siloam. And they dip this vessel into that pool. They bless the water before they do that. They bring some water from the pool of Siloam. They go back to the temple with this now holy water. And they have a libation ceremony where they pour it out before God. And it's a big uh, feast and festival and parade. So Jesus says, let me mix up some stuff like I'm not supposed to. Let me anoint you like I'm not supposed to. And you know that big parade that they're having where they're about to bless that holy water? I want you to go there. Everyone can see you. They know you've been sitting on the side of the road all these years. They know you're the blind guy. Why does Joe have mud on his eyes? I don't know if his name is Joe. But as he's going to the pool of Siloam, I want you to go there, wash it off, muddy the water of their holy religious ceremony, and now they're going to have a choice. Let everyone see. And so this is what happens. So the man went... There he is. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. So now these religious leaders and all the Jewish people are put in a position of choice. Are we going to believe? That this person who is obviously not interested at all in our religious ceremonies and our rituals. In fact, the, the Pharisees, when they, uh, they told them, the man they called Jesus, they, they interviewed this guy. And said, hey, what happened here? The man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes. He told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Well, the people then took him to the Pharisees. And, and then they said, because, notice why they took him there. Because it was What? <gasps> it's on the Sabbath, that Jesus, look, look how specific John is. They didn't say, oh, Jesus healed this guy on the Sabbath. He didn't only heal the guy, he made mud. Isn't it weird that the Bible would say that as they took this guy to the religious leaders that had just been miraculously healed after being born blind, that the point they're trying to make is, oh, and by the way, the guy made some mud. And the Pharisees Notice what their response is to this. It's on the Sabbath that he made the mud. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, notice John again. He put the mud over my eyes. And when I washed, I could see. And notice what their response is. It puts them in this place where they have to decide. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God. He made mud for Pete's sake. (laughs) It's how stupid religion gets. Well, you can't be from God. You voted for that person. Ooh, it's November 6th, That it's close to home. You can't be from God. You believe this particular thing, and we believe this particular thing, so you're not even probably a Christian. That's what religion has always done. He made mud. He can't be one of us. But it puts him in this position of, of choice, for he's working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? And this was Jesus' intent. Jesus' intent is always make a choice. You, you, you can't just decide, well, you know, I sort of like Jesus. He's nice. He has some nice teachings, but I like other stuff too. I, Jesus puts you in a place where you can't simply ignore me. You can't just sort of like me. You have to decide once and for all, am I who I say I am or not? You have to be put in a position of choice. And that's what he always did. You can't ignore him. You can say, no, I don't believe him. He was a really fine guy, but that's just it. Or you'll have to say, okay, he has to be God in the flesh. He has to be the guy that is showing me God is like this, and he wants to have a relationship with me. And so that's where we are. That's where the Pharisees were. That's where so many people today, and even some of the Pharisees we discover had to admit, they had to decide at Jesus' crucifixion, when he was on the cross, two Pharisees, Nick and Joe, Nicodemus and Josephus, not Josephus, um, Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, Josephus was actually alive at the time. But Anyway, you don't care about that. They, they took him down. Two Pharisees had made a decision that this man is who he says he is. And so that's simply what we're going to do today. Nothing big. We don't do this all the time. We don't at the end of every service say, okay, now every head bowed. Every eye closed, everyone looking around. Not necessarily anything wrong with that, but we're not trying to manipulate someone. It's real simple. The, the, the person of who Jesus is, the things that he's done, the things He said are, are simply presented to you. You come to a point where you need to make a decision. It's not something that has to be emotional. It's simply taking a step. It's how Jesus interacted with people. He walks up to Matthew and says, hey, follow me. He didn't say every head bowed, every eye closed. I need total silence in the room because Matthew needs to really think this through. No. Matthew, what do you say? You don't have to believe everything. You don't have to understand everything. Just take a step. Follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. Very simple choice. So that's the choice we have today. So what I'm going to do in a minute, we're going to pray as we leave. But um, I'm not going to ask you to come forward or anything like that. In your seat, there's a connect card. And that's simply a way for you to connect. And people do it almost every week. Someone makes a decision there on the back that says, just lets us know, hey, I'm taking a step. It's an action. It's, I believe this, so I'm going to act on it. And simply check there, I'm deciding today to begin a relationship with Jesus or renew my relationship with Jesus. put it in the bucket on your way out, and we want to connect with you and partner with you to help you on that that journey, which is simply a relationship with him. And he calls us to relationship with him, but the way we grow and the way we understand him more is all done in the community of people who are there to... uh, to help us to know him more. Now, before, before I pray, we have just a couple minutes left. I think I've lost my clock, but I'm sort of surmising this. What time is it? Does anybody know? I give you permission in church to look at your clock. 12.30, it's 12.31. It's close enough. See, I was being religious. He was being... Now, my dad was bad about that. If it was 12.31, dad would say it's 1 o'clock. Dad had two things: top of the hour, the bottom of the hour. Nothing else. So that's why we don't let Dad come to this church. But uh, two Sunday nights from now, on November twentieth, we're having a very informal, very laid-back get together. Um, We believe it's very important to come and sit in rows, but uh, we think circles are better. We think getting connected in community is is the way we. It's the it's the way God intended for us to live. Frankly. And uh, we want you to know that there's things you can do to connect, get more involved. If you have questions about why we do things a certain way, we're going to be sharing what our mission is, what things that we believe, and ways that you can hook up. And uh, if nothing else, there's going to be food. Just think of it as pizza with the pastors. And you can meet some of the other leaders. We're going to stuff your face absolutely full of pizza until you slip into a carbohydrate-induced coma. And, uh, but there's no obligation. We're not going to lock the doors. It's, it's just a way you can know, hey, what else is there to be involved with here? I sort of, sort of like what we're doing. Let me get hooked up. It's November 20th, 6 o'clock. I uh, would really, really love for you to be there. Um, was that a question that came in back there? I don't remember if you should, I don't know if I can hit it really quickly or not. Let me look at it. Sure, exactly. That's sort of the point. And if you're listening online, I should actually read the question. Jesus came, John 6, 38, to do God's will, but what was Jesus' will? Would it not be the same? I'm going to answer this as quickly as possible. Yes and no. It is the paradox of Jesus. It's the tension that he lived in. It's the tension that we lived in. Jesus came to, to, uh, to be God and Abad. But he has a human nature. Everything that he says and does, he said in John 6.38, I didn't come here to do my own will, but I came. When he says, I came here to show you the will of the Father, what he's saying is, the will of the Father has always been this way. You've misunderstood it. I'm going to actually come and show it to you. Is he one with the Father to where that's his will? Yes, absolutely. But in order to identify with us completely, he became human. And there are times as human that I want to do this, and God wants me to do that. And so that's the decision, that's the ongoing following in relationship, is, can I submit my will to His?" And we have an example of Jesus doing that right before he goes to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says to Jesus, he says to the Father, he prays, "I know this is what you want me to do, but knowing the horror and the punishment and the torture that he's about to go through. His very human side, in fact, he says, the spirit is willing. My flesh is really not wanting to do that. That's Mark Brown in translation. My spirit is saying, yes, my spirit is the will of the Father. Oh, God, is there any other way we can do this? If there is, let's do that. But then he says, but nevertheless, not what I, human, will, but what you will. I'll do whatever you say. And that's simply an example to us when we face that every day. And we have, in fact, the writer of Hebrews uses that sort of as an example to encourage the Christians and says, you know you haven't resisted unto blood yet. It hasn't killed you yet. It's sort of him digging that. You know Jesus wanted to do something opposite of the will of the Father and it cost him his life. had not cost you your life yet. Could you get with the program? That's sort of his way of saying that. So that's a really great question. Um, thanks for your questions. appreciate when you send those in. We're going to pray now. And uh, get you out of here. If you're making the decision to take that step, just indicate it on the connect card. We really appreciate, appreciate that. And welcome to the family. Um, and they already mentioned the offering. If you have an offering, you put it in the bucket on your way out and look at the kiosk. So let's pray. They get on to me because I always forget to talk about the offering. So, Father, we thank you so much for everything that you are, are showing us. For some of us, it's a shift in our, in our thinking. For some of us, it's brand new. Lord, the, the basics is we want to know what you're like. We don't care if we think that uh, the way to get to you is a certain way. We're interested in what you want, and we believe that we humans have messed it up, and religion has caused us and people around us a lot of pain, and we don't want to cause pain anymore in our life or theirs. We want people to know who you really are. Help us to know it and help us to share it. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.